Okay, we're in this series today on gatekeepers, and the gatekeeper working in our life today has to do with shame and forgiveness. They're big. Those are powerful, powerful influences in our life. I'm going to tell you the story of three people, and I want you to see if you can identify who they are. I'll explain it as we get into it a little bit further. Her life was a wreck. She had been married five times, and by this time she had kind of given up on marriage altogether and was just living with this next guy. In the town that she was from, there was one well that serviced that whole community, and she would avoid the crowds of the early morning because she didn't want to get the stares and the accusations and the things thrown at her because of her life and her lifestyle. So she would go out in the middle of the day when it was blazing hot sun to get water so she could hide from the comments. She could hide from the whispers that were spoken in judgment of her and the condoning, condemning, excuse me, looks of those looking down on her shame. Another story is that he was a politically powerful man who abused his power to sleep with another man's wife. His tryst led to an unexpected and unwanted pregnancy. Out of the fear of exposing his sin, he tried to hide it by creating a scenario that was basically premeditated murder. Trying to hide his shame. This lady suffered from female bleeding for 12 years. All that time she was suffering uncleanness, uncomfortable, and uncomforted. No one there to help. She had watched Jesus heal other people. But how could she do that? How could she expose that level of her own shame? And so she got into the midst of a crowd and, got, and hid and snuck down just to touch the lower part of his garment. All of these stories, if you weren't able to figure them out, are scriptural stories, biblical stories of something that happened. There are all three stories of people who put a lot of energy and effort into hiding their shame. Trying to avoid that public exposure to shame. But the most wonderful thing about these three stories is that each of them experienced God's power to break shame's hold over their life. All three of them walked through that level of shame but found something in God that broke that shame's power. And we're going to show you what, those, what they found in this today. Because if you don't know Jesus, let me tell you, His desire is to set people free. He said there's no more condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Where does shame get this power Because it's massive. If you think of all the ways and efforts we go to hide and to get that covered up and and the power that shame has over us to keep us silent, to keep us seated, to keep us inactive, there is a lot of power in it. And we all have been exposed to it because of our own failure. We've sinned. We've messed up. 
We've treated other bad people badly. They've treated us poorly. So we all get to experience the power and the ugliness of that shame. But it started way back. It started on the very day that Adam and Eve in the garden ate of that fruit. When they ate of that fruit, shame broke into their existence that they had not known before. Now, suddenly, they stood before God, not open and say, hey God, good morning. It's now, I'm hiding. They hid from Him. They hid from each other when this shame broke in. All of a sudden, they were sinful, they were weak, they were damaged, and they were living in a whole new kind of experience they had never known before. They actually realized that they were now living under what they had deserved in the, in the sin was judgment. So this, this shame is, comes with a powerful force. And the enemy, if you read, go back in that Genesis story and read, that gives that enemy time to walk right up into their life and continually to accuse them. Constantly accusing them. Reminding them of their failure. Paul says that because sin is alive in these bodies, Hebrews says is that because we are beset with weakness, the kind of shame we often experience is a potent combination of our failure and our pride that wants to hide it. Combination of failure and pride that comes to hide it. We fail morally. We fail due to our limitations, our weaknesses. We fail because in Romans it says that our creation is subject to futility and just doesn't work right. And we fail to live up to everybody else's expectations of us. You add to that our pride. And you say, well, how does shame and pride work together? Well, we see how hard we try to cover shame. How much effort we'll put into covering our shame. Well, it tells us that it's the pride that's doing that. This level of these two things, pride and shame, can wield power over us that is so devastating that it will consume the precious energy that we have in this life and it will cause us to live constantly looking to place to hide so we won't be exposed. Shame always makes us hide. The problem is that many times... We hide in the wrong places. I'm going to tell you in a moment that it's okay for us to want to run and hide, but I'm going to show you where to hide in just a minute. Like the woman at the well, like King David in his failure, and like the, the hemorrhaging woman, we hide in our homes. Sometimes we have to hide outside of our homes, we hide in our rooms or our offices. We run in our, we hide in our housework or our media screens, but we hide. I want to say that hiding, I'm not, may sound like I'm against it. I'm just saying shame is going to drive us to hide. But let me show you where to hide, okay? There is a place prepared for us. 
those of us who have failed and have the problem of shame. Here's the question I want to ask today, and I want you to help me answer it as we look in Scripture. Where do we take our shame to hide where it really helps? Here it goes. Number one, the first place that provides protection is in Jesus. The only place that provides protection is in Jesus. So bring the shame of our failure and hide, but hide it in Christ, in Jesus. You'll find that it is a safe place to bring it. Hebrews chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. Hebrews 6, and starting with verse 17 through 20. The only place that provides protection is when we come into Jesus. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Here is the picture of the, the highest, holiest day of Israel was the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was when the priest, the high priest, who would go through all kinds of ritual cleansing for his own sin and for the sin of the nation, he would have his, he would have his body cleansed, his robes, he would put on the, the royal robes of the high priest. They would tie ropes around his ankles and they put belt, uh, bells on the hems of his garment because they knew he was going to go past a curtain. And behind this curtain was the very presence of God. And as he walked in, he was to bring the sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, behind the whole, into the Holy of Holies of the Jewish temple tabernacle. And he was to bring this offering, atonement, to cover the sin of himself and all of Israel on that one high holy day. Jesus, on the cross, if you'll remember the story of the crucifixion, that at the time of the crucifixion, that, that uh, veil, that, that curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where God's presence dwelt. It says that thick curtain, if you'll read the story of how it was built, it's not just a flimsy curtain. It's a very thick curtain. was ripped from the top to the bottom, torn apart. And so that Jesus entered into that place as our high priest, making payment for our sin in the presence of God. Now, very interesting in this particular passage of Hebrews, he did not say he entered in as a Levitical priest. He said he entered in in a very unique, kind of a mysterious priest that we hear about in Scripture of this guy by the name of Melchizedek. He says he came in, Jesus came in, in the order of Melchizedek. And I'm going to tell you that's very significant. 
And here's what the difference is. If he had come in as a Levitical priest, it would have come in to pay only for the sins of Israel. Because they were the priests for the people of God, the people of Israel. But he came in in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek means king of Salem or king of Jerusalem. King of peace, if you will. And this Melchizedek was on the scene before Abraham showed up. If you'll know much scripture, Abraham was one of the early main characters of scripture. And he became the father of God's people. The Israelites came from his line. But we read in Scripture that Abraham, when he met Melchizedek, went to him and took a tenth of all of his possessions and gave it as a tithe to Melchizedek, who was in a superior position to even Abraham. He was a king of the Almighty God, even before the time. And if you'll know, if you read about Melchizedek in Scripture, that he did not come with a genealogy. Said he didn't have a father or mother, or they didn't know about him. He had no beginning, and we don't ever hear of the end of Melchizedek in Scripture. As a matter of fact, he resembles much of the Son of God, the picture of the Son of God. And it says he remains priest forever, Melchizedek. Good news, here's what the good news is. When Jesus came in the order of Melchizedek, he became our priest. Not just the Jews, but for Gentiles too. Thank God that he came in the order of Melchizedek. That he is now our high priest. And he's the one who broke through the the veil and went before God and brought his own blood. Perfect. And laid it on that altar before God to pay for our sin. Did you realize today every one of your sins have already been paid for? Where is it we run and hide with our shame? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Go to Jesus. Run quickly into a relationship with Jesus. Why? You have a protection there. Because of His sacrifice... We run with our shame and it's covered. He covers what we brought. His death and His resurrection is the only remedy. Hear this. His death, His resurrection is the only remedy for shame. Now we try everything else on the planet to to take care of our shame. I personally believe it's the main motivator of most drug abuse that we have in our country. Alcoholism. And everything else we do to try to cover up that guilty nature of our sin. But if you can run to Jesus, you will not need to drug the emptiness and the pain. Because Jesus will come in and take residence within you. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Then the presence of God Himself will dwell within this mortal body of ours. And there is no need then to hide, to cover, to drug to do anything because it's taken care of by Jesus. Amen? The key then is to break this power of, power of pride 
filled shame is the only, it's a superior power, this is it, humility-fueled faith. If you want to overcome the power of shame and the pride that's associated, you have to bring humility and faith. Bring a brokenness before God and a trust that God is enough for all that we've failed. Shame pronounces you guilty and deficient. Shame pronounces uh, us guilty before God and guilty within ourselves. But on the other hand of this situation, Jesus pronounces us guiltless. You are not guilty. And he says, my grace covers. That's where you can hide, in his grace. He covers all of our weakness. He is sufficient when we're not. That's what happened to the woman at the well. Remember the lady at the beginning? She listened to Jesus. And Jesus, remember what he said? She said she was getting water. And he, Jesus said, would you give me some? And while she was getting him water, Jesus said, I have some water that I could give you where you won't ever thirst again. I can give you something where you'll never live under this shame that you've lived under again. And she met the Lord Jesus that day. Her shame was covered. And if you remember, it changed her. She ran into town and told everybody in the town what this man had done for her. When shame is gone, the testimony of God's power becomes mighty in our life. But when we, or when we continue to live under shame, we're quiet. We're silent. That's what happened to King David. He would messed up and did all these shameful things. And yet, in 2 Samuel 12, it says, Then David said to Nathan, his friend, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has already taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Thank you, Jesus. That's what happened to the hemorrhaging woman that snuck up into the crowd to get a, a touch of his garment that day. Jesus asked her, to tell the crowd about her shame. But in doing so, she received a healing and a cleansing that she needed. Jesus made her shame a showcase for His grace. Her shame became a showcase for the power of His grace. Do you understand this can be yours today? Do you understand that's available for us today? This is not just an Old Testament or a New Testament story. It's the current day story of what Jesus will do in our life. The only thing, the second thing I want to talk to you about is the only thing that breaks the power of sin's shame is, listen carefully, forgiveness. Powerful force. Let me just give you a few scriptures. Follow along. Take a deep breath. Wake up and follow along. We have the promise of Scripture that this, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will come and tell us when we've sinned. He will will tell you. He's not going to bring shame, guilt, and condemnation. Those are tools of the enemy. But Jesus will bring conviction when we're living in sin and rebellion against Him. He will bring that to us. And it says in John chapter 16, verse 8, And when the Holy Spirit comes... He will convict the world of of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. 
You don't have to live in, in shame anymore. And when we live about and we go about our life and we fail and we make mistakes and we sin, the Spirit of God will convict you immediately. And it gives us the opportunity to do the next thing. In 1 John 1, 9, we are given the opportunity to just say, God, you're right. I confess to you, I just failed. And he says this, if we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we get that opportunity. When we sin, bring it to him, confess it, and he says, I'll wash you of all unrighteousness. The third thing, when we confess, this is what God says he will do in Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to their, unru- to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquity- iniquities. I will remember no more. Wow. Wow. I wonder how many times we keep bringing past sins up to God to pray for it. And, he, and he's listening saying, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Because you've brought them before me. You've confessed them to me. He said, I've forgotten them. I don't remember them. Move on. Those things that once had hooks in your soul, those sins of the past have been unhooked and you're free. Stop bringing them back up to him. They're gone. Eight, Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The sins that we're, for, we're forgiven for sins and iniquities. Sins, what it simply means is this. Uh, it's the word transgression. We've tried, but we've missed the mark. We're forgiven of that. We're, conv- we're forgiven of unrighteousness or the word iniquity. It's the opposite of, when, of justice. When we've done something that is not just, we're forgiven for that. And we're forgiven for the times we've missed the mark of what God called us to do. He says, no condemnation if you're in Jesus. Wow. What if we live like that? I wonder how much of us, in our own mind, our own thoughts, are condemning thoughts. Self-shame thoughts. Hiding fearful thoughts. Because it says in Psalm 103.12, this is what God does with your sin. Listen carefully. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. I don't know if we're catching the, the understanding of what God's wanting us to do. Once we've brought them to Him, He doesn't remember them because He wants us free to be His children, to follow Him. And, and love Him for the grace that He provides. So why did Jesus die? Colossians 1.22 But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you know that there's coming a day? Are you with me? There's coming a day there's a judgment. Do you understand that? The scripture talks about a day that individually we will stand before God as judge. Terrifying thought. 
I mean, that, that thought makes me tremble. If I did not understand what this scripture says in Colossians 1.22, that he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Why? To present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. So if we stand before the Lord covered by his blood and what he did for us, when we stand before him, Jesus is our advocate and he will stand before him saying where we will have no accusation. There will be no condemnation. All because of the blood of Jesus, not because of our performance, all because of the blood. That's why we celebrate the blood of Christ. The meaning of living in righteousness in closing is this. Vicky, come in. Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation, and fellowship with the Father. That is what is given to us. Shame is very powerful. I wonder how many of us have heard the call of God at times on our life. And you know what your passion is because it was placed in there by the Holy Spirit. Some of you were given a passion to take this message of the gospel to people in foreign lands. But because the fear of shame, if you stood out and the enemy brought, brought out your weaknesses and your sin, that, that it scares you. And so instead of pursuing the mission field, you, you hide and not serve. Some of you were, are called to preach the gospel. To stand behind a pulpit in the frailty of all the rest of the preachers that stood behind the pulpit. And yet, because of the possibility of shame of our past, we're silenced. Held to our seat by chains. Maybe you were called and it's in your heart even today and your heart is for children. You would love to be able to continue to feed into them faith, the Word of God, letting them have a high standard of belief that's not destroyed by adulthood. But when they hear that God's Word says this, we believe it, we practice it, and we believe God's going to function in accordance to His Word. You want to feed our children. And yet because of some sin of your past or some sin to you, you say, I can't do that. I can't invest that way. Because if I do, I'm afraid they'll find out. Maybe it's with students. Maybe it's taking the Word of God and teaching and breaking it to a new set of disciples coming along and they want to know the word and you know it but you failed in the video at the beginning shame was telling you how awful you were you didn't get to see it but you could hear the last part of it forgiveness the door is opened and when you are when you receive forgiveness you just come to the Lord and confess it. Confess your sins. He's faithful. 
He is just and He'll cleanse you of all sins and of all unrighteousness. You may need to forgive somebody else. And you may need to, they may have failed you, didn't do what you expect, did something wrong to you, whatever the case. Your gatekeeper within can open the door for forgiveness and just release forgiveness. You know what forgiveness is basically? Canceled debt. Yeah, you, you hurt me, you did something bad to me, and you owe me because of that. Forgiveness is taking a stamp that says canceled, and you write that on that check. You don't owe me anything. I release you. Scripture says that's important because if we don't forgive, what does it say in the model prayer? Forgive me today just like I forgive those who's trespassed against me. If we hold unforgiveness in our life, I, there may be, that may be that block for our own forgiveness. What needs to happen? Shame, you need to bring your shame to the right place to hide, and it's in Jesus alone. He's the only safe place to bring your sin and your shame. And if you do that and confess it, when you get up from that place of prayer, and on your way out, you can say, God, thank you for forgiving me for that sin. And he said, you're welcome, but I don't remember what it was. What a good place to be. What a free place to be. I wonder what would happen to our church if we really dealt with that before the Lord. And we started functioning in the freedom that God has for us. And in the calling God has for us. Lord, I want to ask you on this day to take your word. I want to ask you, Father, to speak your individual message into each one of our hearts. And right now, Lord, we're either going to close the door to shame and get it out of our life by coming and hiding in you. Or we're going to open the door and let it control us. Lord, let us find forgiveness in you and then I pray for a great power somehow Lord to help us forgive ourselves that's sometimes our biggest block help us to forgive ourselves after we've dealt with you and then Lord give us the generous heart that's able to free those who have sinned against us let it be a day of cleansing and healing and forgiveness as we gather at an altar for prayer it's in Jesus' name we pray. I'll have prayer partners that'll be here in the front. If God's spoken to you, I just say, deal with the Lord as He's spoken to you. Don't walk out anymore with shame.